So if you haven't figured out today uh, yet, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and following our gospel lesson for today. And uh, Jesus is actually addressing one of the most important things that we could ever hear, and that is worry and anxiety and stress. And so if you can turn in your Bible, I'd like to walk you through this. Uh, First of all, talking about the reality of anxiety. Second of all, talking about the cause of anxiety. And third thing, about the cure for worry or anxiety. So the reality, the cause, and the cure. Verse 25, Jesus tells us, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Other versions translate that, do not worry. Verse 31, again he says, therefore, do not be anxious. Verse 34, yet again, do not be anxious. He repeats this three times. Why is that? Why would he be so insistent? Because he knows the reality. That it doesn't matter if you're a pagan unbeliever who worships vain idols, or the believer in the one true God who created all things in the universe, we're all going to worry. It's all part of who we are. It's the reality for all people. In fact, I worried and fretted over making this sermon on worry. So (laughs) it's just part of what we do. Uh, Look at the pharmaceutical industry. You will see the top-selling products are products like anti-anxiety pills, things that target ulcers, hypertension, hair loss, heart disease, weight gain, sleepless nights, backaches, muscle aches, headaches. It's all stress-related. Kristen Stewart, who was known for being the actress in Twilight, she admits to going through bouts of suffering with depression and anxiety and worry. Lady Gaga says that she's done the same. Khloe Kardashian, all balled up in stress and anxiety. Now think about how profound that is. Three women with wealth and power and fame and all three stressed out to the max. Bobby McFerrin sang his song in 1988, won the Grammy Award for the Song of the Year. Don't worry, be happy now. Remember that one? It's easier said than done though, isn't it? Of course. So whether it be a celebrity or a songwriter, but Christians too. Christians too. Did you know that Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, called the prince of all preachers, experienced extreme depression and despair in most of his ministry life. William Cowper, who wrote many of the wonderful hymns of the church, had paralyzing anxiety for most of his ministry life. You can add to the name Soren Kierkegaard or, or many others. Hannah in the Old Testament, she worried and fretted that she was childless and barren. She worried before God. Elijah, the prophet, was so beaten down in his ministry as prophet, he called out to God, God, take my life. I'm ready to die. I'm so stressed out. David, the king, oftentimes would say, Lord God, why is my soul so downcast? And so it's not just pagan unbelievers. It's Christians. It's biblical people. We're all worry warts. So here's my point. If you're a worrier today in this church, you stand in good company. You're not strange. You're not weird. You're simply human, okay? That's why Jesus says three times, don't worry, because it applies to all of us. But here's the good news. He says that three times, leading to the fact that there must be a remedy. 
there must be a cure. He wouldn't tell us to do something that we're incapable of doing. So there must be a cure. Paul found that cure. Paul was one of those warriors. Um, he worried about his ministry life and his congregations. And then he had this physical ailment he keeps calling a thorn in the flesh. We have no, no knowledge of what that was. But instead of allowing that to sap his joy and to crush his soul, he allowed that thorn in the flesh to leverage and move him closer to Christ Jesus. See, that's the difference between pagans and Christians. In fact, Jesus came to Paul in 2 Corinthians as he's crying out about this thorn in the flesh, 12, chapter 12, verse 9, and said to Paul, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, Paul says, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Gentiles worry, Christians worry. Christians use worry and weakness as a leverage to move us toward Jesus. The cause of worry. That's the reality. Here's the cause. Here's where nuts comes in. Remember this. Worry comes into our lives when there's something novel, something we've never done before. Many of you are going to school at a different, maybe school, or maybe you're going to college now and you've been in high school, or some of you teachers now have a different classroom full of students, or maybe you've taken a new job or having your first baby. The novelty of never having done those things will eat you alive with worry. Novelty. Unpredictability. You're going into a situation you've never had to approach before, and it's unpredictable. I'll tell you what, I worry about flying. I, I really, my wife will tell you, everybody will tell you, I worry about flying. But I've also had this secret thing in my heart that kind of longs to one day take pilot lessons. And that sounds crazy, doesn't it? You know the difference? I've got to put my trust in a guy in the front of a plane. But if I were able to control the situation, I'd feel much better about getting on a plane. That's N-U-T, threat to my ego. If I'm going into a novel situation I've never been challenged to do before, like public speaking or something like that, and I've never gotten up before people, then I worry that I'm going to fail. I worry it's a threat to my ego. And that happens for people whose ego and worthiness is bound up in success or failure. We all do that sometimes. If I fail, I feel terrible about myself. Finally, T and S, sense of control. When you're worried and you're anxious, chances are that you've got a vision for how your life should work out or how somebody should work out in your life, and you worry that you can't control them and manipulate them to the proper outcome. So we have a sense of control that we've lost. And here's the point. Worry will drive you N-U-T-S nuts. So that's the physiological and the psychological background behind worry, stress, and anxiety. But Jesus today says at the core of it all is theology. He says we worry about stuff, stuff. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, don't be anxious about what you're to eat or what you're to drink or what you're to wear. Jesus is not saying, don't have a 401k. Uh, don't have a retirement plan. Don't save money for that rainy day. You never know what's coming. He doesn't say that. You're, you're to plan. But what he is saying is don't worry 
in such a way that it consumes you, that you, it steals your joy, that it becomes a crushing weight in your life. Why? Because Jesus says you've got a good, good father in heaven, one that knows you intimately. I mean, he knows every hair on your head, the Bible says. He knows how intricately you were made in your mother's womb, the Bible says. And as a good, good father, he says, I want to give good gifts to my children when they ask, and I know their needs. In verse 26, Jesus tells us, just look at the birds of the air if you don't believe me. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father cares for them. Verse 28, now ponder, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow by God's grace each day. Birds don't worry. Lilies of the field don't worry. They don't try and control the outcome as they would have it. They don't store up bunches of stuff in which they put their trust on earth. What do they do? They live according to God's grace every day. They trust in every situation that God's got this. He's got my today, my yesterday, and tomorrow. Here's the punchline. Verse 30. Jesus says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe and provide for you, you people of little faith? So when we worry, when we're anxious, when we're excessively, constantly feeling like life is out of control, what we're doing is we're basically saying that I want your, God, your job, God. I want to sit on your throne, God. I'm expressing through my worry and anxiety my lack of trust in you, God, to provide all the things that I need, God. Oh, you of little faith, Jesus says. Worry and anxiety is when we want to control the uncontrollable, to manage the unmanageable, and to know the unknowable. And I'll give you a test for that. If your boss calls you into his or her office Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock, doesn't tell you why, your mind automatically goes to the worst-case scenario, right? Because they didn't tell you why. I mean, if it was a disastrous thing, but you had the knowledge, then you could do it, but you don't know why. Am I going to be reprimanded? Did I not do my job well? Am I going to get fired? You go to the worst case. It may be that you get a promotion or commendation. We don't know. But you worry because you want to know the unknowable control the uncontrollable, and manage the unmanageable. Jesus says in verse 27, doesn't do any good when you put yourself in the place of God. Look at that. And which of you being anxious can even add a single hour to his span of life? Don't do it. Worry is not going to help you one bit. In fact, look at verse 32. Jesus says, for the Gentiles, the pagan unbelievers, they seek after all these things that you're so worried about. And yet you have a heavenly father that knows that you need them all and seeks to give good gifts to his children. So what Jesus is saying is that worry and anxiety are first off a lack of trust in God's fatherly care. Because he alone can control the uncontrollable, manage the unmanageable, and know the unknowable. He says, Jesus says that, Pagan unbelievers live their lives stressed out over what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, but your Father knows that you need them, and he loves you. 
How much more does God love you than the lilies of the field that he provides for and the birds of the air that he provides for? Let God be God again. Jesus is saying you have a value with God that is incomprehensible. He loves you more than any of the other creatures he's ever created, and he's your good father. So get off the throne. Stop trying to control everything. Martin Luther, the great reformer, had a friend named Philip Melanchthon, and he was also a theologian and reformer. Philip was all balled up with worry and anxiety. Anxiety literally had stolen his joy in Christ. So he came to his friend for some advice, how to move beyond this pit that he was in. You know what Mark told, Martin told uh, Philip? He said, let Philip cease to rule the world. Stop trying to rule the world. And here's the application. Relinquish your throne. If you're built up into worry and anxiety and stress right now, put God back in the proper place. Because isn't that what Adam and Eve did in the beginning of time? They were given this beautiful garden to till it, to control it, to manage it. And yet there was one thing that God said, I don't want you to, your managerial skills in this one place. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't want to be like me. Don't put yourself on the throne. And we all know how poorly that turned out. So relinquish your throne to Jesus. Reframe your priorities as we're going into a new church year. Make sure you're focused in the right direction on eternal things. Look at verse 33. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things that you're so worried about will be taken care of you. They're being added unto you. So, as we seek the kingdom, I would, I would just encourage you, study the scriptures. You'll see a lot of worry and anxiety but you'll also see a God who is sovereign over all that, who comes to rescue his children, who is always faithful as a good, good father. Carve out time in your life this season for prayer. And the best kind of prayer to remind you to release the worries is this, thanksgiving. Get a log book out and just write down all the things that you're thankful for, all the things that your good father provides on a daily basis. Thank God. It lifts our worries and dissipates our concerns. But the other prayer is adoration. Go ahead and Google it. Google names for Jesus, and you'll see between 75 and 100 names for Jesus. Be reminded of the character of God by praying through adoration. Lord, I thank you that you are Alpha and Omega. You're trustworthy. Lord, I thank you that you're the light in my darkness. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you're my good shepherd that takes me through this life. Lord, I thank you that you're the lamb who died for my sins. You are the king who rose victorious from the grave. Lord, I thank you. Remind yourself that he's on the throne and you're not. And when you worship, worship him with full spirit, with mind, soul, and body, the fullness of your heart. Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to the thinking of this world. That's the pagan unbeliever. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Worship helps us to reset and renew mind, body, and spirit. And finally, find something you can do positively for somebody else. You know, when we start to navel gaze at our own issues and problems, it can become a pretty dark place. 
But if you're going out to help somebody else and minister to them in the name of Christ, it lifts our spirits as well. There was a guy named um, Carl Menninger. He was a psychologist of the 20th century. And he said, if I had to prescribe something for somebody who was stressed out, worried, and depressed, I'd say, come down out of your bed, turn on your light, go out of your house, walk across the town to somebody in desperate need, and minister to them. Minister to them. And that will take your anxiety and your pressure, and it will dissipate. And lastly, reframe your work. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So whether we're priest or lawyer or teacher or student or whatever it may be, we're to be kingdom builders. We're to have a, a greater view of life, not to worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, how big is our 401k, but we worry about God's great grace impacting this world that Jesus is rebuilding and reshaping a kingdom from heaven come down to earth. He's remaking this broken world, and he wants to partner with us in that task. Seek first the kingdom of God. So C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, if you aim at earth, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm, you will get neither the joy of earth nor the joy of heaven. But if you aim at heaven, you're going to get heaven, and you're going to get earth thrown in in wonderful ways that you can only imagine under God's grace. So remember that. We go into new things. They're scary. They're novel. We, with sense of unknowing and control being lost in the midst of all that. And then we have a threat to our ego, but we need to remember that God loves us and he wants to provide for us. And our ego is based in God's love, not in our success, not in our success. And so when we lose control, get down off the throne, give God back his rightful place. You don't have to go nuts. Jesus says in verse 34, do not be anxious about today or about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus died for your sins in the past. Let them go. Don't worry about them. Jesus is your rod and your staff in the presence. He is your strong, uh, powerful, grace-giving Lord right in your presence. And he has the future in his hand. So don't try to know the unknowable, something that only God can do. In Celebrate Recovery, they use the serenity prayer to center them on what's important. So I want to end with that today. Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.